You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller. Indeed. And it's episode 363. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Very hard. Eh, I don't know. We talk a lot, so I guess it's not that hard. <laughs> it's just, it's true. It's true. We keep we keep doing it. The numbers are going to keep going up. It's weird that way. Yeah, yeah. Fod sent me a message today saying I've convinced him to mileage run on Alaska. So I mean, I feel like you know my talking does a good job at some things. <laughs> Already then. <laughs> so this uh, year before the end of the year, that's a. I think so. I think he's only needs like one flight. Okay. So I think he's just like he's on the west coast right now. So I think he's going to like try and do it that on his way sense. home. Yeah. But uh, um, in interesting stories, Qatar Airways is going to lease Cathay Pacific 777s? At least two of them, from what I can tell. They uh, last week started loading flights and bizarrely had a 777 with a first-class cabin in it, which is not something that they fly. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of digging showed that it appears to be the configuration of a Cathay 777-300ER. So... Uh, and then, somewhat amusingly to me, the actually the, one of the fir- they're going to run it to Hong Kong and to Malay and the Maldives. And the mm-hmm. first Hong Kong flight is actually scheduled departing Hong Kong, not departing Doha, because they're getting the plane for the plane's there. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I wonder if it's going to be painted. <sighs> That's a good question. I would bet no, uh, mostly because they're keeping the seats in it. Yeah. Um, there was also, and I have no actual details on this, but rumors that it might be partly crew by cafe pilots. Oh, interesting. Because they clearly, I mean, they're, we talked about this last week also, they're having all sorts of trouble with like being based in Hong Kong and keeping people on and whatever. And yeah. things aren't getting much better there, which is a hint that we're going to talk about some of the entry rule changes and whatnot later on. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, so, because I saw something too is along the lines of Cathay Pacific opening bases potentially or reopening their bases overseas because of I, some of the Yeah, issues. they like unclosed some of the U.S. bases, I think. Yeah, because they didn't want people to get stuck right in Hong Kong yeah. or quarantined for 21 yeah. days or whatever it is. Crew weren't, I mean, you know, we've seen it with other airlines as well. Crew aren't really willing to work if they have to stay in Hong Kong, right? FedEx closed, temporary closed its Hong Kong base a while ago and was shuttling pilots in from San Francisco mm-hmm. and now is perma closed it. Maybe. Yeah. Perma, yeah. meaning permanent is, you know, <laughs> means many things. I know you had a little bit of rant about that the other day, but yes. um, anyways, uh, but yeah, that right now, FedEx has closed its crew base in, in Hong Kong because the challenge is related to staffing and quarantine and whatnot. So maybe uh, Qatar sees this as a way to move some of those pilots out of Hong Kong, u- utilize them um, if, but, if this is what's happening. Yeah. And also not, it, it's almost certainly is, well, the planes are, whether it's the pilots will remains to be seen, but it's also helps address the fact that hiring pilots right now, I mean, is relatively hard, even though mm-hmm. there are a bunch that are out of work and whatever, like getting people back into the cycle has proven rather difficult for a lot of airlines. So that's another reason to just sort of go with the ones that are already certified and have all the, whatever they need yeah. with those airplanes, with those op specs makes it easier. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to put the little like temp uh, Qatar Airways over Cathay Pacific, like the little uh, peel, peel and stick logos. Yeah. Like over on the side, but leave the Cathay tail. That'd be an interesting look. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering, I mean, Heiko's there, right? So yeah. they could technically do something if they really wanted to paint them. I don't know if they want to spend that money, but. Yeah, I think p- part of it is no one really has figured out how long the lease is going to be, right? The original. Yeah. The original load right now in the schedules is just a month. Gotcha. I imagine it goes longer than that, but for now it's just that. So. Well, and, and speaking of paint, is this because of the A350 paint issues? So 
Apparently, yes. Right. So this goes back. Remember, probably a year ago now, Qatar started complaining that the A350s were being delivered with subpar paint, and they weren't going to accept new deliveries until it got sorted out. And we and, and we and, and to be fair, on the show, we uh, we kind of we laughed at Ali Al Baker, right? Is that is that his yeah, name? Akbar. Akbar Al Baker, right? Uh, yeah. And we we said this guy's just blowing smoke every, up everyone's butt. But he doesn't want deliveries because yeah. of the <laughs> COVID and whatever. Yeah. No, it turns out that he was probably right. I mean, it's bad. Like, apparently, these were these issues were reported uh, back in 2018 by different Multiple airlines. airlines. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, and so the problem is, and it's not just that it's paint peeling; it's that the paint is peeling away and exposing some of the like uh, the metal mesh that handles lightning strike dissipation. Apparently, mm-hmm. yep. Right. So it's maybe you know peeling paint isn't necessarily a safety issue, but like lightning dissipation can be. So. And with that exposed and, you know, the Qatar Airways and other airlines are like, hey, is this really a thing? Like, what's what's going on here? Trying to get more details on whether it's significant or not. And so but the Qatari National uh, Aviation Regulatory Authority grounded those planes because they I mean, and everything there is sort of tied together. Right. The airline is also owned by the national government. So it's hard to say exactly why this they're but they're the only country that has grounded the type as a result of this um but Qataris can't fly those planes and business is sort of recovering mm-hmm. for them so they want they need to be able to expand their route network also right now you can't get a new 787 either because various issues so right those haven't been delivered since last may yeah. and probably aren't going to be until april uh based on scuttlebutt so you know it, there's literally like you know there's you can get a plane you can lease one and whatever but like to grab one off lease and then get it fitted for what Qatar Airways would consider a reasonable interior layout that meets its sort of standards, probably very difficult relative to, eh, Cathay's product's not so bad. Let's just take it. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting is, the, the one interesting thing is like, Cathay business is nice enough, but it's not Q Suites. But now there's a first class product. Yeah, yeah. And what do they do? I, I mean, I doubt they'll sell it. Maybe they'll get they're, it. They're selling it as F. Really? It's loaded right now. It's being sold as, I'm, I should say, it's loaded in these schedules with the F bucket available. I haven't looked at the actual to see if I could buy the seat, but did they ever, did they ever have a first class? A380s have one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, and they sell regional long haul or like regional premium. So like as far as Cairo, but mostly like Jeddah, Saudi Arabia and Dubai and things like that, they actually sell business class as a first class product or first class fare. And they had the first class lounge, which is more premium, um, which that used to be a thing. If you flew Cairo, Doha back to the U.S. and got first for that first segment. You got the la- this fancy lounge access as well, which was a fun oh, little hack. But interesting, um, yeah. So, but actually, talking about sort of interesting things on board, the um, first class is nice and whatever. But more interesting in many ways to me is that there's a premium economy cabin. This is true that Cathay has and Qatar Airways. Akbar has Al Baker has been very explicit that he doesn't need a premium economy product. He's not going to sell a premium economy product. He's not. They're selling it as coach. They're selling it as priority seats in coach. And it's like a $30 upcharge. So if you happen to be flying to Hong Kong or Malé and you're booked in economy on one of these planes, pay the $30 and get the premium economy seat. Yeah, because basically like a domestic U.S. domestic first class seat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, very, very nice. Would strongly recommend. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking. At, I don't actually don't see it being sold as first class, but I'm not sure it's the right date. So interesting. Um I think, I mean, are we seeing, uh, go back to the pain issues, are we seeing A350s pulled from other fleets as well? I don't think so, um, but that also may just be because the demand has been relatively low. But I think, you know, the other airlines from that Reuters story that reported it um, seem to have sort of 
address the issue and or put them back into service. Mm, okay. So um, it's not, I, I don't think anyone else has grounded the type or even a subset of their aircrafts because of this. There may be some that are not in service, but gotcha. yeah. and Airbus is delivering new ones. And Virgin Atlantic got a new one last week. So okay. deliveries are still happening. Yeah. I mean, it seems like Airbus has, I mean, it seems like everybody's having problems these days, right? Like Boeing, Rolls Royce, GE. Hey, Boeing <laughs> had some good news. What, what was their good news? Uh, they're getting, well, it's not a finally approved, but they're moving much closer to having approval from uh, China to put the 737 MAX back into service. Oh, that's big news. Yeah. It's big news. Um, did I forget to put that in the topic list? No, you did. That's okay. the next topic. <laughs> it, was, it was a good segue. Did properly segue? <laughs> Damn it. Um, you can tell I was still looking for my Doha, my Qatar first class tickets. Yeah, Molly's not showing the first class seats either anymore, so I don't know how else to give those away. Anyway, um, yeah, no, the Boeing thing, it's it's not that they're certified for re-entry, but they've outlined the requirements that will have to be undertaken, and it appears that it's basically the same as what everybody else has done. So China's not requiring anything absurdly special, which means it will actually happen pretty smoothly, people think, probably by the end of the year. Interesting. And the the really good news about that is once they're in service or you know, approved again, deliveries can start again. Yeah. And China's a big big customer. And, and they already have, I mean, there's a number of them that were already flying with carriers in China, right? It was the largest country of operators at the time. I think the U.S. will have surpassed it now, but uh, yeah, there's a lot. So that was a big yeah, I mean, deal when they grounded it. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a great thing for Boeing to finally start moving a seven thirty seven Maxes out of off. And they have moved some, but this should well we'll have to see what the delivery timing looks like and you know, what the airlines there are ready to do. Remember also that it doesn't get a lot of Western media press, but China has been sort of up and down in terms of locking down schedules yeah. and canceling flights. It's super interesting. They they aren't the airlines aren't adjusting their operating schedules like published. But if you mm-hmm. go look at think FlightAware's sort of misery index or whatever is the best uh, place to go check canceled flights lately. Uh, it often shows that Chinese airlines are the lion's share of cancellations on mm-hmm. any given day, unless a U.S. carrier is having a meltdown, because you, know, you get like random even mostly domestic only single eye like a spring airlines or something 300 canceled flights yeah and it's because the government will be like oh look there was an outbreak here we're just closing off that airport now for a couple days gotcha yeah kind of thing and so the sort of efforts towards zero covid there are offer dramatic swings in operating schedules shall we say yeah for sure um allegiant and viva aerobus are forming a joint venture they are. They have applied to the U.S. Uh, Department of Transportation for approval to operate with full antitrust immunity, uh, coordination of schedules, fares, etc., and a 50-50 profit sharing for new transborder markets. And this is basically Allegiant doesn't have enough planes, and because of its sort of less than daily or less than, yeah less than daily operations and ra- you know somewhat random scheduling and a basically a rule that uh, planes come home every night they always come back to base they don't they actually are con- they have a contract rule with their crew that says they don't uh run or remain overnight they don't leave planes at outstations mm-hmm. so a lot of the leisure markets that they want to serve are you know the one that they used in their application the example was south bend to cancun they're a pretty big operation in south bend indiana but it's not a base so they'd have to fly a plane in then fly to south bend and then back and that's too many hours gotcha from anywhere that would be useful to get the plane, you know, right? Like you're not going to hop a plane from Indianapolis over to South Bend. You're going to bring it from somewhere that actually brings people. So 
yeah, it's a longer flight and the, they run out of crew hours at that point to make it work. And so they're trying to figure out another way to approach that market. And Viva Airbus is growing and has sort of potential aircraft available, crew available, whatever, but also has a whole lot of, uh, has a, is missing a whole lot of things in terms of success in the U.S. market. They've tried a few times to pick up leisure traffic and have failed miserably every time. Mm-hmm. And it's seen in their excuses basically that uh, Mexican airlines, and it's not just Viva Airbus, but most Mexican airlines struggle with name recognition and branding and whatnot to attract the very leisure focused sort of resort traffic, all inclusive, et cetera. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that's just charters that fly out of smaller US cities. And then the bigger cities have mainline service from you know many other larger airlines. So the idea is that Allegiant will sell US originating and either operate it on its own metal or Viva Airbus metal. And Viva Airbus will operate or will sell Mexico originating, but it'll all be the same flights. Gotcha. Sort of like 100% code share, full reciprocity kind of thing. Okay. So it, it was a real interest. I actually spoke with the CFO about it uh, last week when the news came up. And it was a, they've got a real interesting take on what it's going to be one of the many, many challenges they face, if, assuming they even get the approval. Uh, Allegiant doesn't fly scheduled international service today. Hmm. And they have a homegrown uh, PSS passenger service some, system. Yeah, the, the, the back end sort of hard, uh, software that makes an airline run uh, is homegrown for them. And it doesn't support international. And this was similar to they actually specifically describe it as a similar to the problem Southwest had for so many years. And Southwest solved it by buying Airtran. They think that they're going to solve it by establishing this joint venture. And then, and you know, I said, okay, so you're going to do the joint venture. Are you then going to migrate to a new platform? And he stopped short of confirming that they were going to migrate to Navitair, which is the low end version from Amadeus, I think now. It used to be standalone. That's sort of what most are, what many LCCs use. It's a pretty solid product. Um, he stopped short of saying they were absolutely going to go there, which, you know, but that, that's where they would try to start things if they got the relationship because that's what Viva Airbus already runs. Mm-hmm. But that they were actively considering build versus buy, which for an airline that's run for so many years and been so proud of their internal development staff, justifiably, they've done some really good things given you know, the situation and having this homegrown platform, the migration to a third party PSS is just massive, like such a huge undertaking. And so it'll be interesting to see how that project goes when it, if, and when it comes to be. Yeah. I mean, Viva Aerobus has kind of had a, they've struggled in the U S for sure. So yeah. And they tried a few times. They tried Cancun markets. Yeah. They've tried a bunch of stuff. So yeah. And I mean, maybe this will help them. I mean, how does with Allegiant, right? It's this out and back kind of system that they have yeah. with, with Viva Aerobus. Is it, are they constrained by the same, they're not constrained by the same things, right? They'll, they'll, they'll overnight their crews. They can overnight crew. They've got a more flexible um, set of operating considerations, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, also like there's, it's a very similar product, which is nice um, for at least for consistency sake. I'm not sure it's a nice product, but it's, you know, sort of max capacity uh, or close to very dense aircraft configurations. Um, but, you know, it's, I think that it gives them a lot of potential to one thing Viva Airbus, you know, serves a lot of domestic markets, but doesn't do a lot of leisure traffic necessarily. They do, they've sort of pitched themselves as replacing the bus, mm. like intercity bus service and actually sell uh, airport to intercity bus connections. Mm. So like you can fly to relatively you know mid-sized town somewhere in mexico and then have a bus ticket onward to the small town where your family lives yeah yeah um and so you know they're 
their sort of target market has never has not been the or they've tried a couple times and failed, but they've not had success with the we're going to bring leisure passengers to the beach. And so it's Cabo, Puerto Vallarta and Cancun, I think, are the three main airports that they're targeting as part of this JV for the leisure traffic. And that's where Allegiant looks at that as like salivating over the volume of hotel all inclusive transfer you know, mm-hmm. rental car, whatever, booking packages they can sell because the the sort of profit margin on those extras is way better than the profit margin on operating an airplane. Yeah, that's that's and that's kind of where I was going next to ask you was how does that revenue sharing you think how do you think it's going to work with Viva Aerobus, right? Because if they're JVing it, are they sharing the revenue from the packages as well? It's a good question. I actually didn't ask that level of detail, and I'm not sure they would have answered it. Yeah. Um, but you know, they said it would be. Eh, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of what, based on what he said, which way it would go, and I think it would go either way. Yeah. Um, but e- whether they share it or not, I think both parties would be very, very happy with how those numbers would come about. He did say, uh, Greg Anderson, the CFO, when I was talking to him, he did mention that they would use the take advantage of the joint operations to sort of jointly contract capacity. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think there's probably some sharing planned. Yeah. Yeah. Because the risk would be shared also. But, um, yeah, but that that half of it, right? That's where Allegiant really makes its money. It's huge on ancillary. Um, I will give them credit uh, in the filing, rather than you know trying to play the we drop airfares. Look, it's the the Allegiant effect, right? Which is the Southwest effect, the JetBlue effect. Everybody likes this claim. It's theirs. Um, Allegiant put that slide in their filing, and in doing so, actually included ancillary fees. They didn't because Allegiant's uh, revenue model. So much more of it is ancillary. Mm-hmm. So they did include ancillaries for them and for everybody else in the comparison. Uh, counterpoint, they didn't include Frontier or Spirit Airlines. <laughs> so, oops, they didn't, right, they didn't include the other airlines that would make them look not as good in terms of dropping fares. But yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this is one of those things though, when they talked about like what the value would be and whatever. Like I look at it and I wonder, you know, Allegiant has basically said, if, it, if we don't get this, we're not expanding internationally. And Viva Airbus... I mean, who knows, but they're probably not going to establish too many more. They're not going to come back to these leisure markets where they know they don't work. Yeah. So it really does seem like it induces or creates uh, a new market or generates additional capacity and doesn't destroy competition, which is usually where uh, joint ventures fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but that was the other thing is uh, Allegiant has been pretty clear. If like, if th- this would force them to invest to be able to support international service. And once they figured that out, they're going to do it, right? Yeah, uh, Dominican, yeah. Re- Dominican Republic, a lot of all-inclusives there. Uh, mm-hmm. Jamaica, a lot of all-inclusives there. Bahamas, a lot of all-inclusives. Like they, they, they name-dropped those, I think, in Bermuda, which doesn't strike me as the sort of all-inclusive resort-type destination necessarily, or certainly, from my experience, it's more upscale and ex- expensive, quite frankly, um, compared to what typically would be seen as traditional uh, allegiant markets. But that wasn't one that they name-dropped in their application. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, there's some, I mean, speaking of leisure markets, the Caribbean is getting some fun, fun new routes, huh? It's peak season, baby. Christmas through, <laughs> well, it won't be Easter this year, but it's uh, usually, th- it's basically like a week before Christmas through March through spring break is typical peak season in the Caribbean. And they're finally getting some of their routes back. It was, uh, I mean, the one new route I think is Virgin Atlantic is flying Edinburgh to Barbados. Interesting. Yeah. Which I find interesting. I mean, Barbados yeah. is a big, uh, British destination. That was it was a Concord destination for a long time. Oh, really? Didn't know. Yeah, 
Yep, wow. that was one of the Concord, des- Concord destinations. So uh, big premium traffic and big uh, leisure market there for the Brits. Uh, but United added Barbados flights from Newark and Dulles this week. And Frontier added Orlando to Antigua, which is one of its, I think they announced like six new Caribbean markets that they're launching this winter. And that's one of them. So <laughs> things are starting to ramp up. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's nice to see it's a good i mean assuming omicron doesn't destroy it all like the the return of service and people's traveling there it's got to be good for the island economies hopefully it's not terrible for their health is is united's routing like i didn't realize they never had barbados service from newark or dulles did they have service from somewhere else i don't know that they ever had barbados service huh. that's fascinating i wonder if they just used the prop planes out of uh what is it fort lauderdale or Miami on Barbados is super far south. Oh, so then that's not possible. No, I, maybe you could get a San Juan mm. connection. Yeah, interesting. Um, but it's yeah, Barbados. If you look at a map, is um, you can tell. I, have, I haven't I haven't done that. So yeah. <laughs> they look. Uh, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's like further south. It's way off Puerto Rico. It's further south than St. Martin or any of those. Oh. Um, yeah, it is far. Yeah, it's east, which is oh yeah, it's very it's six, east. It's almost six hundred miles from San Juan. So even on a prop, that's a stretch. Yeah. So I'm guessing people flew to like the St. Saint Vincent, the Grenadines or something, or St. Lucia. Or uh, flew American. <laughs> or flew American. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that's good for East Coasters, right? To have now nonstop yeah. service on United on both those routes. So yeah, cool. And I think the, the, that was actually yesterday, right? Was the inaugural? Uh, it was either the fourth or the fifth. Okay. I can't, I, I saw it via an Instagram story and dates and times on those are very hard to, you know, when someone writes today, I don't do the math. So. Yeah. Same, same here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fascinating. And then for, uh, the frontier service, that's also, uh, they strike me as like, they just don't have, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they're like the new dartboard. <laughs> that's fair. Um, and I think, you know, I talked to, one of their executives over the summer at a conference in St. Martin, when they were talking about this sort of big Caribbean expansion, I think that they would in some ways acknowledge that. I think they'd admit it. Mm. They're just trying things out. They're throwing a lot at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, They, they have a relatively uh, short horizon on what they're going to allow, right? Mm -hmm. What, what, what they're willing to accept and try, but they're doing a ton of Caribbean markets. They're doing a huge expansion in Orlando. Uh, They just also announced they're going to add Fort Lauderdale last week <laughs> so that's another like 18 markets or something that they're putting into south florida they are moving very far east uh, from their denver routes and but yeah they, they have made it pretty clear like they're gonna they're gonna try a lot of these markets they also it was an interesting comment at the time and i still think it is they aren't trying to establish new markets necessarily <laughs> so normally when we talk about like you know so-and-so is, is launching service oh but they got to compete against the incumbent whatever that's never going to work Frontier is trying to compete against the incumbents. They see that as a market that has demonstrated sufficient demand, and we're going to show up with lower fares and try to poach the other airlines customers and or induce demand. And through some combination of that, we will grow and who cares about the other guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, they're letting someone else do the proof that the route works and then showing up after the fact and trying to, you know, undercut, benefit, undercut yeah. the benefit from that work. Yeah, prior it, makes, it makes sense. I can't, I got to give it to them. It makes yeah. sense. Um, I have, I have a question, kind of a random question for you since we're talking about this route. H- have you been to Antigua? I have. I was there when they opened the new airport. Oh, it's, it looks gorgeous. Like the beaches look amazing. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, Barbuda was weird. Um, I let I was I flew over it and then left. I like flew in, flew out on the same plane, which is a tiny little prop just to get the line. Um, <laughs> and it, but it's also it's like 
it's i want to say antigua has like some hills and stuff and it's like sort of the volcano and then barbuda was flat mm-hmm. and so when the storm blows through barbuda gets wiped <laughs> God. yeah and so and that had happened somewhat recently um it also like because it's so re- barbuda is much more remote it was like there was at one point an effort for someone to buy like you know hundreds of acres on the far side of the island and build a fancy super fancy resort but i don't know where like then there was some pushback because it was going to displace all the locals and da, da 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 so i'm not sure where that all ended up but that was one of the many things about it but it's it was a be- absolutely beautiful island it's what to me was sort of a place where when i was there for a few days it's one of those where i feel like you get to a resort and then you're at that resort yeah i didn't feel like there was an urban experience or even a lot of like i'm sure there was some that we just didn't do because of the, the way the press trip was scheduled but like hiking or whatever else it was sort of a very much a like sit on the beach and you know drink umbrella and drinks drink. yeah and or not drink but you know that type of sort of very relaxed do nothing holiday which is not one i'm good at yeah i mean i'm looking at this and they actually do have like some big hills that have hikes it looks like yeah. pads and stuff i mean nice. I, don't, I don't know i might have to might have to look at antigua it's uh i'm intrigued it's a long way from home uh, you're telling me i'd better be better off going to hawaii but <laughs> take like five days to get there man uh <laughs> i'll fly frontier um what else we got here? So that's a, what, a double connect through Denver and Orlando? Yeah, exactly. It's great. Uh, Frontier, speaking of them, they are doing a status match. They are. And it's super interesting is they're also matching hotel statuses. Stati. <laughs> so, oh. so the thing about Frontier is, right, like ultra low cost carrier, everything unbundled. Uh, status match is unbundled. You actually pay 50 bucks or more <laughs> for it. But if you know you're going to fly Frontier, like even the base level gets. I think a free bag or free seat assignments or something like that. Okay. Right? So okay. Yeah. You, you start to build up some of these benefits. If you have a top tier status and you match in, it may cost you a little more, but like, you know, we've had Michael Traeger from travel Zork on the show a couple of times. He got it as a comp from the airline to try it out. And they fly, they fly to something like 50 destinations from Vegas. And he's a big Vegas guy. And they have a nonstop tune from Charlotte for him, which is where mm-hmm. he lives now. And he said with the status, he can buy, you know, the $39 ticket or whatever. And it includes suit assignment, check bag, whatever. Cause he's the game, the top tier. Like if you have that status, it's actually kind of a reasonable, you know, it certainly bring, it takes away a lot of the challenges of the sort of nickel and diming feeling of unbundling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I have the same situation with spirit. Um, when they launched the new program, they gave me the status, and I've tried to use it several times now. Every time I've tried, my flights have changed such that I haven't been able to. Um, <laughs> but I keep giving them money in hopes that I can. Uh, I'm sitting on a credit now that I think expires in February or something. Well, you're going you're gonna to you're gonna have to use it now. I'm trying. I'm, I'm actually worried that my status is going to expire before my credit <laughs> does. And then am I going to want to do it? And like, what does it, is it my status at the time of the booking or is it my status at the time when I get there and all that other stuff. So yeah. um, I got to figure that out before the end of the year. But, um, you know, it's, but, it go, you know, I, I haven't had that conversation directly with Frontier, but I've had it with Spirit. And I would imagine the answer is somewhat the same is the airlines recognize, yeah, we're going to lose some of that ancillary revenue, but we're picking up enough of additional ticket sales from people that have it that have the status that it's probably worthwhile to us. Yeah. And then the other part is like status is dollar based. So you might get it through the match, but you're not going to keep it if you only fly two or three times on cheap tickets. So if you decide that you like it after a couple, you know, trips and testing it, you might actually start flying more to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, in some ways I felt that way about JetBlue back then. They like mosaic status gave you the free changes and, you know, a couple other little benefits that made flying them more, you know, more pleasant, even if it was already pretty nice. 
um, that's the same as status with anyone. It makes the experience generally more pleasant. And yeah. uh, now that they've sort of decided, maybe we should have a real status program and not this like chintzy whatever, it seems to be working. And so now they're doing it with uh, these, they're doing it, but the, the, the match, it's like 15 different hotel and airline programs. Huh. So, and it's through the end of December, I think. Yeah. So if listeners are looking at Frontier and it yeah. works for them on their routings, they live in Vegas or Charlotte or wherever. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like the Frontier route network is, it's not daily in all the markets, but they've got a surprisingly broad route network. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, and then lastly, and then I think, well, let's touch on, let's touch on United first and we'll talk a little bit about uh, yeah. vaccination stuff. Uh, United status uh, and cert expiration. So this kind of came out of nowhere. Um Everyone kind of just like looked at their apps and started realizing that their uh, plus point certificates, which are used for upgrades, uh, had got it extended um, either into July of next year or January of 2023. Um, And people were kind of scratching their heads going, uh, I thought they were going to expire. And then as people started digging into it a little bit more, uh, they also noticed some people got status extensions. Makes you feel Uh, real good about your mileage run, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in this and to top it off, this happened. I mean, basically December 1st, which is the the day after, you know, they had required people who were doing the promo, the uh, fly to the finish promo uh, to, finish. to finish. And I, I, I mean, it's kind of dumbfounded. It's kind of, I don't know. It's irritating at one, at one well, level. You don't know what, you don't know that you would have had it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and there's, I mean, reading people's experiences, some people who thought they would get it, didn't get it. So, uh, you know, to be fair, I may not have gotten it. Um, but what do you think about this? I mean, it's it's kind of I mean, it was kind of a silent thing from United, like no announcement whatsoever. I certainly didn't get it. Uh, it's weird, right? Well, I mean, I wouldn't expect it. I didn't have any. I barely flew United. I have gold status as a million miler, and I wouldn't. You know, I barely. You know, I, I wasn't trying. So, um, yeah, it, it is a little surprising that they did it without publicizing it. But also, like, if they didn't do it for everybody, then you don't want to publicize it. True. Because then you're calling attention to the people who didn't get it. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's uh. I, the real question is how many people did they extend status for and at what value proposition? And was it a smart choice for, you know, keeping them as customer next year? And Oh, by the way, are we going to have business travel again next year or not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a market where it seems like travel's not going to happen, especially, you know, some of the foreign markets, maybe they said, well, we'll give you status again. Cause we know you probably won't use it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was odd that they, they didn't even send an email to people that, that they had extended the status for or that they yeah, had. That, that's the surprising thing. I would have thought like, hey, dear Stephen, we really appreciate you as a customer. Just so you know, you know, we, we recognize that your travel has still not really recovered and blah, blah, blah. You haven't had a chance to use your plus points. We're going to make sure they last another year for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I, that's what surprises me. But what do I know? You know, marketing is not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Uh, and then, so lastly, and we're going to talk about that. I think we're going to talk more deeply about this in the bonus, uh, you know, bonus topic. But a lot of testing requirements are changing very quickly uh, around yes. the world. Um, the United States is moving to a one day test before you come back to the United States or enter the United States. Um, the UK is requiring a PCR test. And this is what's kind of screwed up your trip, right? Um, and we'll talk about that in the, in the bonus, but there, there's a lot. So people really need to be aware and do some research before they book a trip or yeah, it's, you know, like always pay attention because things keep changing. Um, but the Omicron, we, we talked about this last week on the show, right? We expected it was going to create a little bit of chaos while people panicked over what's going on. And, uh, yes, it did. Yeah. And, and I, now that you bring up Omicron in our last episode, I kind of want to, I think I should apologize. I think my, I kind of was like cut off 
South Africa. And after reading some very articulate and very smart people, people who are smarter than me, their opinions of it, uh, that was never the right way to go about solving this problem. So uh, I apologize. I, I know that my uh, my approach was probably seen as uh, anti-Africa, and that's not what I was intending. So uh, yeah, and that we, I think well, it's going to be interesting to see how long these travel bans and extreme, you know, increased testing requirements for those countries are. Right, like the U.S. has cases in many states now, including the Minnesota case was someone who didn't have international travel. Mm-hmm. So that means we've got community spread in the United States. Is you know, yep. and when asked about the the it's not a ban, but the travel ban, whatever you want to call it, uh, from those countries, the government uh, was like, oh, no, no, we have a list of you know standards by which we will remove them. And so it's like, well, what are they? I was like, yes, we have that list. Oh, it sounds like but, Oregon. Perfect. But won't share what they are. So that's a little worrisome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you, you, you get what I'm saying, though. Like, yeah. I feel like I feel like I was pretty well, we just got to cut it off. And I think I think at that point, like what we knew, I mean, these again, South Africa was gracious in giving the information they had about this variant to different countries Absolutely. Uh, so, that they, so that they could test and you know sequence this thing um and people were like well we, no one's gonna we're not gonna allow people to travel out of your country to our country um so anyway stick around for the bonus topic we're going to talk about seth's uh, aborted trip and just trips uh. trips yeah multiples and uh, <laughs> some of the uh some of the future my like thoughts on future of travel and just some of the things that are happening so uh, stick around for that if you're if you're not a patreon subscriber become one and you get that top you get that extra content and you get it a little early uh and we appreciate it and so uh yeah we just want to say thank you to everyone who listens and uh thank you to our patreon subscribers so uh you can find us on twitter at dots lines more dots more lines.com leave a comment ask questions uh, we're hoping to get some guests on here soon kind of mix things up a little bit and uh yeah but thanks for listening happy travels bye-bye take care